As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You know what I like to do after a long, hard day of drinking? Listen to this podcast. It's time for Brewing After Hours with Sarah Flora. It's like sunshine for the belly. Hi, I'm Sarah Flora. You may know me as Flora Brewing on Instagram and YouTube, where I dive into the technical aspects of making beer. My new podcast, Brewing After Hours, is going to take a different look at the history and stories behind beer. I'm going to bring you a story a week, as well as conversations with homebrewers and professionals in the industry. And of course, we'll be cracking some beers along the way. Welcome to Brewing After Hours. I'm Sarah Flora. So today we're not talking about beer. For the most part, we're going to be talking about cider. And cider has a long history in the United States and, of course, the world. But I'm based in the United States, so that's what we're going to talk about. So if you are from the U.S., you have definitely heard the story of Johnny Appleseed. And... The story was basically he traveled across the Midwest and planted a bunch of apple seeds and people are like, oh, he just loved him so much. But there's actually more of a truth behind this story. So Johnny Appleseed was actually John Chapman and he was a land prospector and pretty savvy businessman, honestly. He traveled around planting apple seeds in the places he thought people would settle in the U.S. And he did this because people obviously wanted to buy orchards and it would make it really easy to sell the land. The thing about apples, though, is it's really hard to grow an apple tree that will produce apples you actually want to eat from seed. Usually you have to take a graft from a tree that's already producing good apples to graft that onto a crappy apple tree, also known as crab apple tree, to actually create good produce. But what you can make from apples that are grown from like crappy trees is cider. Cider was a huge staple in the American diet up until Prohibition. Pilgrims on the Mayflower actually purportedly used a screw from an apple press to repair the ship after a storm damaged a beam. So basically cider is essentially like why the pilgrims made it on the Mayflower, which, you know, there's alcohol and everything. The stories really never end. So when they arrived in New England, the settlers had very bad luck with growing barley and wheat to make their beer, But the apples thrived in the New England climate. 
so cider became a favorite beverage in early America. After Prohibition, cider didn't take off like beer did, but fortunately, with the repeal of the ban on homebrewing, cider makers were once again able to start experimenting, and the popularity of ciders rose nearly at the same clip that craft beer did. This rise in popularity has inspired many cider makers who may not have grown up with their family homebrewing the hooch in their cellar. One such cider maker is my guest today, Hannah Ferguson, the founder of the Dope Cider House and Winery. And she is really bringing this industry into the future. So let's go chat with Hannah. Welcome to the show, Hannah. We really appreciate you joining us today. So on this episode of Brewing After Hours, we're talking about other fermentables, so cider and wine. And you started making cider and wine at home before working in the beer industry. So it would be wonderful to hear how you got your start and made the transition into commercial brewing for all our home brewers out there. And now you're starting a cidery as well. So I'd love to hear how you made the transition into becoming a professional. I guess I just start off with the story. Pretty much, like I said, I've been doing home winemaking and cider making probably for like the past 10 years now. And just out of a hobby, it was more like when I moved back here, I lived in Orlando for a few years and I moved back here. which was just kind of, uh, just kind of like bored, wanted something to do. And some of my stepmother's uh, family members, they've been making homemade wine for 40, 50 years, like um, her and her husband. So it was just like, hey, can I, can you guys show me how to make wine? I'm very, just very curious because they would just say, this is easy. And, and I love what they, um, the wine that they put out. They basically took me under their wing, showed me how to do it. And I kind of started off with like five, 10 gallons uh, at first. And it slowly progressed to like, at one point I'll have like 50, 60 gallons going at a time. Like, so uh, within a couple of years and again, it was just like, it was like just for fun. It was again, like a hobby. And it was just something like, I was like, oh, I can make this wine from five gallons. I can get about almost 30 bottles and I've only spent less than a hundred dollars, like total. I was like, you couldn't do that with like any store-bought wine. That's really why I started brewing too. Cause I'm, I'm so cheap. I'm just like freaking $12 for a six pack. What are we even doing? <laughs> That's kind of how that started uh, with that, with the, um, with the wine. And then like, I was just like really getting into beer just as like an enthusiast or just drinking. And again, like my curiosity just took off. I was like, hmm, I wonder how you make beer. Like, I wonder if it's the same process. And again, I knew nothing about, you know, making beer at all. It just so happened that uh, where I was working, Modern Methods, they were opening up a brewery. We, um, Youngstown, in the city of Youngstown, that's where I live I'm from. Uh, we had just had a brand new um, brewery open up called Noble Creature. So then uh, in Warren, where I was working, Modern Methods was where they were in the process of opening their brewery. And it just so happened like me and the owner, her and I were part of a leadership cohort in the state of Ohio. So she would bring beer. I would bring um, I would bring wine. And then we just got to talking about that. And so uh, eventually, once they opened, they started inviting me out to a couple of brew days to help out just talking just learn a process and then later that year they had an opening for an assistant brewer and they reached out to me and like hey would you be interested in this position and I you know and I went for it I was like yeah definitely so yeah so I was uh working as an assistant brewer under an amazing like head brewer his name is Jeff Constantine and I learned definitely learned a lot 
from him, quickly learned that beer is nothing like making wine. <laughs> so I, I tell people too, like when then you compare the two, I was like with wine, cider, you have to just have patience. And again, more patience with wine because it at least takes six months to the year to get a really good drinkable wine if you're using fresh juice. I know there's some concentrates out there that take about four weeks. Uh, I've never used them before, but uh, I've only done uh, fresh juice, but I hear great things about the um, the concentrates as well. And then um, with beer, it's like you have to be able to pay attention. Like I was like, oh, I got to... <laughs> I like my old brain. I got to adjust my attention span because it's like, you can't miss anything. You can't let the temperature change. You can't, you know, let anything like burn or stick or overboil. So that was just like, like my simple process of the difference between the two. It's like patience versus like your attention, because literally I just leave my wine and just, you know, rack it every four, six weeks and, just be like, okay, it's ready. Six months. Let's go. Let's drink it. Let's bottle it. As for beer, it's like that eight hour shift that I'm working or more is like constantly paying attention. So yeah, it's exhausting after a brew day. You're just kind of wiped out, but I have absolutely no patience. And that's why I've never gotten into wine. (laughs) People are like, why don't you make wine? I was like, and wait six months for it to be done. What are you talking about? It's like, there's no quick trial and error to like learn off of. And I'm just like, I forget about things so quick. I'm just like, I would like not even realize I had any wine. (laughs) And that's like the, that's where I learned eat quickly from making like my first 10 gallons to increasing it a lot more because you think like, okay, 10 gallons I have about, you know, 50, 60 bottles of wine. We're good. That went so fast to know like, okay, I can't have any more for another six months. Yes, I learned quickly to make more. And especially if you're giving it away for gifts, like I feel like I only get to actually drink like half of every beer that I make. So, and even beer is sometimes patience demanding of me. And I'm getting into pressurized fermentation because I'm like, man, I want a week from brew to drink. And it's so fun doing it that way because you're just like, you could brew every week and just like end of the week, try it. And it's like, awesome. Yeah, I learned the hard way because I I eventually homebrewed. I went to like a local bottle shop and um, he's amazing. Like I was like, I never homebrewed. So I was like, okay, let's homebrew. And then I still was like, I was like, ready. once the beer was done and it was like, he was like, yeah, it's ready to be bottled or whatever. I'm still thinking just going from the commercial part of it, like I can bottle it and give them out. And it was like, hey, let's drink these. He's like, no, they're bottle condition. I was like, what is that? He's like, oh, you got to still take it and let it sit about room temperature for about a couple weeks. And then you're, you still test it to see if it's ready. I'm like, I can't drink this right away. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so I learned like next time I homebrew to, you know, carve it in the corny cake. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I never bottle condition anymore. And people always ask me like, why don't you like, hey, I started canning instead of bottling just because I like it more. I'm an equipment junkie. So <laughs> um, people are like, oh, why don't you just bottle condition? It's so much easier. And I was like, um, because I have the patience of a snail and like I can't do anything and I have no memory. So you have made history as the first and only Black female brewer in Ohio. This is obviously a major accomplishment and a huge step towards bringing awareness and inspiring change in the brewing industry. So when did you become aware that you were trailblazing in the industry and what were your initial feelings about the news? 
it was just like it was weird because I had been working probably already working in the industry probably about a year year and a half before I started to like kind of like question it because like after you go to I knew like all the breweries around me like there were no people of color working in any of them I knew I was the only one so I'm like okay cool we had our own um uh brewers guild and going to some of those meetings and just meeting those other 14 other breweries that are were within the industry again it was just like hey it's just it's still I never met anyone uh, or anything like that so I started to ask like um the executive director I reached out to her for the Ohio Brewers Association I just was out with it I was like hey have you ever met any black female brewers ever out of like I think we have about I think over 500, about 600 breweries within the state that, you know, it doesn't include like the bigger ones like Budweiser. She was like, no. And she was like, let me do some more research. And nothing came back. And she was even like, hey, I I think there may be like a male, black male brewer in one of the breweries at Cleveland, but never met a female. So we just started kind of putting that out there. Like, and I was, had the open ended like question, like, if I'm wrong, please let me know. And no one ever corrected me. And still to this day, I'm the first. It's recently I found out that another Black female got hired for at a brewery in Columbus. Probably about, she's probably been working maybe a month now in the industry. So I'm not the only anymore, which it's good. But, you know, I'm still a first. But it was just like, it was just eye-opening. You got to just think about how long, like, beer has been around. And it's just crazy that, Black people or people of color and and still females too, that we're still making first. Like it's like 2021 and you're just like, it's never been a black female brewer in the state of Ohio. Never. It's just so when you look at it that way, it's just like it's crazy. And then it comes to like with me opening up the um the cidery, again, the first and only black female cider house in the state of Ohio. And, and that's crazy. And I also spoke to someone from, it's like the Cider Association, um, which covers pretty much all the cider houses um, nationally or here in the United States. And there I interviewed with their um, diversity committee and they said, I'm like the third. And they were like, maybe the second, but definitely the third in the United States so yeah so it's just again like it's like that type of reaction and you're just like it goes back so far like probably like so deep like you know it's like how things have not changed much in 2021 our backgrounds like again this is like a first generation for me some people who've been in this industry they may be second generation third generation winemakers or cider makers or their family has orchards or vineyards and I I I'm just a kid from Youngstown you know it's like that this is something that no one that we know or that has done this especially trying to go to this scale of things uh on the commercial level it's definitely like you know that's what I want I don't I I can't say like I wanted to be the first but now I feel like as in being a first, it's a different responsibility. It's a, a responsibility to, you know, do things like this, podcasts or, you know, interviews 
to spread that awareness. Like, hey, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Or like just knowing that you see someone that looks like you doing doing this. Yeah. And like, it's great that now you're not the only one. I feel like you're you're kind of opening doors and just allowing more people to be like, oh, that could be me. Like, I could be doing that. Why not? Yeah, it's, it's inspiring. It's definitely inspiring. Exactly. I mean, just through my YouTube channel, I have women reaching out to me all the time being like, you've inspired me to brew because like I see someone like me who's obviously not doing anything perfectly. <laughs> and I love it. That's why I'm in it too. I'm a big fan. I had Marcus Baskerville, founder of Weathered Souls Brewing, on the show recently to discuss the Black is Beautiful campaign. And I know you took part in the initiative. Why do you think it's important for the beer and alcohol community to be involved in social causes and initiatives with diversity and just what's going on in the world? To me, it's just important because, like, again, like when you when you go to Beer Fest, and then this is again like my point of view of like Beer Fest breweries. Uh, things like that, that I love to visit. When I go in there, you know, you look around, you can be at a fest that could be like five, 600 people, probably just in that first session or something. And then when you can count the amount of Black people in this group, giant group, and you can probably count them out that you see maybe both your hands you start to question it. I feel like this initiative, when he took part of it, and I was very like proud how many breweries decided to do it. I was just uh, definitely with me, you know, again, being a Black female brewer here in the state, I was thankful that my brewery decided to do it as well because we were in the middle of a pandemic and you're donating your proceeds and like, you know, of industry that's not necessarily struggling, but we're not doing what we were doing because it's like, you know, everything was shut down pretty much. Uh, so the whole business model of the business changed from like, you know, coming in the seat, selling kegs to like, hey, we need to try to get a candy line real quick, you know, so we could put everything in cans and mass produce. So I thought that was just important because it also um, just I think the name of the beer just stood out like black is beautiful. Like we always said that, like, you know, growing up is like, we just had to you know, just know that despite like, you know, all the hate and the different judgments that the color of our skin is beautiful. It's like, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, there are different shades. So I just felt like that stood out and it was important. And for it to take off the way it did, it was like, it just made me proud. It was like, yeah, people are buying this beer and it says black is beautiful. It's not, it doesn't say anything else. It's like you, the front of the can is black is beautiful. That is it. And like by, you know, someone grabbing it and they're saying like, yeah, black is beautiful. And this is a great beer as well. So I I loved it. And I, I, I like, I just love to see how it's still going. Like how they picked up and they're in Walmart. I was like, Walmart... Yeah, that's huge. I know. He told me that when I was on the interview with him, I was like, you are joking. That is like so mind boggling to me that like such a large corporation would 
participate in something that's so political in, within itself. That was like crazy. I think in order to end things like lack of diversity, we have to have more than just us as in people of color step up. Like, so Walmart doing it is huge. These thousand plus breweries doing it, doing the same thing is huge. It's like you're standing for a cause. Like, again, it means something like, yo, we're all in this together. Like, we're donating to these nonprofits who may not have got this recognition or, you know, now people know about these organizations that may not have known about it. And maybe later down the line without this beer, um, they may still donate for these uh, great causes that come up. So I, you know, it's just like, even though I was like, I'm not Marcus is like the highlight, you know, wasn't on me. It's just like, it, I still get chills thinking about it because this all like, again, like I'll see it as like, we're like a family, like this is just an, an amazing thing. And, you know, I want to support a brother or a cousin, you know, like, you know, something like that. And so definitely, like I said, it's just like, we needed these other breweries to step up. And again, like being that there's less than a hundred black owned breweries in the United States, like we definitely needed these other 900 plus breweries to participate in this movement. So. Yeah. It's amazing how widespread it became. And honestly, it's probably my favorite stout I've ever had. So that's not hurting anything because it is delicious. <laughs> did you make it on the homebrew scale? Yeah, I um we did a fundraiser on like Instagram Live um and raised some money for the ACLU and um brewed it and I was like, I'm never gonna create a recipe that's better than this. <laughs> it's just too good. So I just keep making it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely really good. And I just like it was just crazy. I was trying to get as many different variations as I could <laughs> like I was like because like even though like you and some things you had to teach people like oh everyone's running the same recipe but the beer is not going to taste the same no matter what like we brewed it you know we brewed it and uh and Warren at Modern Methods and uh Noble Creature here in Youngstown they brewed it too and our beers taste completely different like his was a 11 percent and he did like a open barrel fermentation, which is like crazy. And it was amazing. It was a scary 11% because it was, that's how smooth it was. Like, I was like, you know, I'm just going to get this in a growler and I'm going to take this home. <laughs> yeah. And then like ours, I decided to add uh, cocoa nibs and strawberry concentrate to it to give it like a chocolate covered strawberry feel. And again, it tastes completely different. It was, but it was also like amazing. And ours was at, uh, I think like, 9.3%. Yeah, I tried to, like I said, I tried to reach out to somebody who was like, hey, can you grab me this and send it just so I can try. Then I kind of got overwhelmed with like, because I re even reached out, which one was amazing. I reached out to a lot of the breweries here in the state of Ohio and just say, hey, I see that you're doing this. I was, Can I purchase something? Can you ship it to me? And actually a lot of people send it to me for free. They were like, hey, here's a can, here's a couple, like, you know, tell us what you think. And, you know, I was able to post that and just like share with friends or be like, Hey, let's try these. Let's compare them. And it was just, it was just, it was fun. I loved it. Oh yeah. I was fortunate enough to get my hands on one of the ones from weathered souls. Um, we have a little liquor store out here that like had it immediately. And I got to try a few others that were made in California and they were all just so good. Yeah, they were good. Like I got, I got a 
in California, I got the Crown and Hops version. I know those guys. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. And was oh, I think it was a collaboration with um, I can't remember the name, but the the girl, the females that are like beer enthusiasts, and they do some collaborations in the LA area. Uh, Beers a go go. They sent me like I bought a four pack of theirs, and it was like they were so good. I was like, I didn't even want to share. Like, <laughs> I didn't want to share those. I was like, I really want to give this up. So you're planning to open a cidery and winery. And the name, which I absolutely love, is Dope Cider House and Winery. So when did you decide that it was time to take this next step? And how did this idea come to life? And you're obviously moving somewhat away from beer. And I'd love to hear about how you made that decision. I decided to like, hey, let's see if I can take this to the next level um, about four years ago. So it was kind of like, I'm trying to think it was, I think I got my pretty much my inspiration when I realized that a lot of the breweries that were opening up, when I realized that they were like home brewers that, hey, let's make this a business. And I realized that I'm like, hey, there's they're just like me. Let's do this. But then again, I was like questioning. I was like, you know, like with wine, I was like, I don't have a, I don't have the money for a vineyard. I don't know anything. About, I was like, I don't know anything about growing grapes. I was like, and then some of the research that I was doing, it was like, yeah, you need a few million because you got to get a vineyard, and then five years later, you may have some grapes. Like you know, so to to produce. And I was like getting discouraged. I was like, yeah, that's not the route I want to go at all. Cause, and then I, I just, what, it was a winery that opened up in Cleveland and it was called Cleveland Urban Winery. I was like, what is Cleveland Urban Winery? And I looked it up and then I actually went to visit. And it's, that's where I found out like about all these urban wineries. Like, hey, we don't have vineyards. We're in the inner city of communities, um, but yet we're wineries. So then I'm like, okay, this can really happen like on this scale. Like I don't need to grow my own grapes. I could just continue to do what I'm doing on a home base, but on a larger scale, still getting the fresh pressed juice, juice and things like that. So that's kind of like how I got inspired to do it. And then like pretty much my holdup is like, I wanted to be here. I wanted to be in Youngstown. And it was just trying to find a location because it's, it's, I'm not sure if laws are the same. Well, they're probably more than likely different in every state. But before I can even do anything here in Ohio, I had to have a, a building. Yeah. So how it was like going is like, hey, I have to probably have this building for and paying rent and utilities and all these things for months before I can even produce and then again with wine you it still takes six months so I'm like I'm paying for a space that I probably can't truly start making any real money on for about a year year and a half to get something out there and that's kind of when I learned about truly about cider I'm like hey cider falls under the wine license here and I'm like hey I can make cider Cider can be like the main source of income because it's done as fast as beer. So you can have cider within three, four weeks um, to put out there. Um, And I was like, okay. And then that's where the popularity of different ciders, like with 
uh, you know, with Ace, Angry Orchard, Cider Boys, places like that. I'm like, okay, people are really loving cider and they're thinking it's beer because it's carbonated, you know, it's coming out of, yeah, it's coming out of draft. So that's where like my momentum started going like, okay, I can do this, I do this. But again, it just kind of just felt like organically again, like my story is like, I've been waiting like this long to actually to get my own space. And it just so happened again, like uh, Penguin City, the, another local brewery, they bought this uh, giant warehouse here. Um, it used to be an old steel um, mill or warehouse. Um, There's a couple other things after that, uh, but they offered me this space and, and it was just kind of like word of mouth because I knew them within the industry as a brewer. And then when they bought the space, they said like, they were like, Hannah, yeah, three, four people came up to me and like, Hey, talk to Hannah, talk to Hannah. And they were confused. They were confused. Why? They were like, why do we have to talk to Hannah? You know, they're like Hannah who, you know, works at Modern Methods. They're like, yeah, they're like, she's been looking for a space to open up for cider and wine. And they had no clue, like, cause it was nothing like, you know, I hadn't put that out there. It was just like me, like, you know, working and trying to find a space. And so they brought it to my attention cause they invited me out to like their open house to see this, um, the space. And I'm like, okay, of course I'm going like, this is going to be a Youngstown. This is my city. Of course I'm going to support. And then she, they showed me the space and they're like, do you see yourself making wine and cider in here? And I was like, I looked and I was still confused. I was like, how did you know, like, this is what I did. And then I was like, yeah, definitely. So it just went from there. It's like, I went from like struggling to try to find a space to actually getting one. And, you know, so that's, and then I just felt it was like, um, cool because even though I'm doing this, I'm still right next to a brewery and they're going to be producing there. So it's was like, I could walk over there, but like, if they need some help, I would be like, I'm right here. Yes. And then, and then likewise, if I need help with something, I'm, you know, I'm going to be like, Hey guys, can you come over here real quick and help me with this? Uh, so I just thought it would just be like an amazing thing. Like, not necessarily like truly giving up on a beer because I would still love to like contract brews, you know, something like that, or at least pour some grain or something like, cause I don't want to lose it. That, again, that's for two and a half years is something that I fell in love with. But again, like my, my passion has always has been um, making wine and cider. So I was like, why can't I do both or have fun with both, especially like learning, um, having these multiple skill sets. So it's definitely like, I don't know. I was like, you never know. I may come out with a beer just randomly one day, like <laughs> playing around. Hey, I mean, there's always those um, like combination beer wines. I've had some from like, I think Libertine that was like a Saison and like char- mixed with Chardonnay. Like with your multiple skill sets, there's a lot you could do to kind of integrate them. That is like kind of more rare and because, you know, Wine people and beer people are usually a little separated. And that's what, that's like, that's the point of like, you know, that's the point of, I I would say being dope or dope. It's like to bring those type of collaborations together or to bring wine drinkers, cider drinkers, beer drinkers in like one space or, you know, or people who are new to all of this. Bringing us in and like we can have a conversation or, you know, over a glass of something it doesn't matter if you're drinking wine cider or beer so that's how I look at it is just like you know just creating this space in a sense 
um, that ideas pop off, um, you know, maybe, maybe having people cross over. So, because I already know that my target market is not going to be like true wine drinkers because they hate Ohio wines. <laughs> like I've heard so many people who are like, I, I, you know, I call them, we call them wine snobs or whatever, who like really love wine. They hate Ohio wines. So I'm just like, I'm probably not going to convert you because you really, you know, you know what you like, and that's not a problem. But if I can be an introduction to somebody um, as starting into wine or, you know, or anything like that, and then, of course, our palates change over the years, then like I went from, I hated dry wines and still like, it's not my first choice, but I'll drink an amazing, I'll drink a Malbec, I'll drink a, uh, you know, so I, I'm open to those things and I just hope to be like, you know, something like that for someone else. So, I mean, everyone who, um, I'm close with knows that I hate white, white wine. I just can't do it. And I'm just like, I'm a huge red wine drinker though. I'll drink like any red wine you put in front of me, but Oh, white and rosé. I'm just like, I can't do it guys. It just tastes like rotten fruit to me. I can't do it. Even some beers like cross into that threshold. Well, how far are you in the process of opening? Well, we're looking to hopefully open uh, into September, October. So yeah, renovations, renovations start um, next month in June, which is right around the corner. Uh, and then it's just uh, the equipment has been ordered and that comes out. I mean, it's about a 20 week wait. Um so that we should have that hopefully by um, August, end of August. And then it's just that final walkthrough from the state to, you know, officially approve everything. And then there we are. So we are hoping like pretty much everything gets done by end of August, early September. So like we can get that final approval from the state and get the go ahead and I can just get some juice and, you know, it's get going. So, since I can't like pretty much it's like I'm just at a standstill like a lot of people are like hey can we taste your product can we do this can we do that and I'm just like I can't my hands are tied like I can't like so it's this it's this huge like people want it right now and I'm like I can't I have to wait is you know I have to wait these are like you know state state laws like all of these things have to get, you know get done so and the last thing you want to do is piss off the ATF right now. <laughs> exactly. Because, like, I'm already like, come on, please, please, please. Like, <laughs> please don't take forever. Like, so. Yeah. People are always like, hey, can I buy your beer? I'm like, absolutely not. I have dreams of opening a brewery one day. And the last person I want to piss off is the ATF. <laughs> exactly. Like, no. That, yeah. Like you said, the last thing is that that you want to get on anybody's radar. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. <laughs> So when you do open, uh, do you have an idea of what your first offerings are going to be? Um, any ideas for ciders you're going to start with? Well, actually, I'm actually making some like homemade cider now. So I'm going to be playing around. I, I want to try to at least have eight things on on tap. Uh, that's the system that I'm purchasing. Uh, but I'm looking at Definitely, some people have already expressed their interest in having like a dry cider and then a semi dry and then um, fruit forward ciders where you know just mixing things and obviously on a sweeter end, um, making those. So, and then I also want to try to play around with kind of like hate saying this, but like some seltzers, but 
I've recently had some really good seltzers from breweries, like not the popular ones like in a store. Um, I'm not a fan of those. So when I tried some good ones, <laughs> I was like, hey, you know, I I can possibly do that. And so that's what I want to do. Like I want to try to like offer some things. And then um, and then with the wine, again, like it's just gonna be a wait. I just want so hopefully I'm I'm trying to see if I will be allowed to to get a you know a, a wine license for like retail in a sense and I would like to serve um, some of these uh, Black-owned winery wines until, you know, mine is ready to give people that wine option as well. So um, sometimes, like, State of Ohio is a little tricky when it comes to, like, multiple licensing in, like, that type of industry. So I'm trying to see if that can work out as well. So um, I can highlight some brands like, you know, the McBride Sisters, um, uh, things like that, so... Yeah, it's um the licensing is always so weird because like with breweries, I know part of the laws are like you can have a certain percentage of other breweries beers on tap or whatever. But yeah, I never thought about it with wine as being like a retail. Um but yeah, I I've also just started drinking some hard seltzer now that it's getting summer and you can tell when a brewery makes it versus like when it's a like, you know, commercial brewery unnamed but uh has a huge stake in the market um one tastes like floor cleaner the other is actually like made with juice and like is actually good (laughs) and kind of similar to beer i'm drinking one right now i'm not sure if you get untitled art and where you are but i'm drinking their um collaboration seltzer with hop culture and it's called hurricane hard seltzer and this is actually like 9%. <laughs> I was like, I opened it up before this, not even thinking, because like, and I'm just sitting here like, Hannah, it is one o'clock in the afternoon and you're drinking a 9% seltzer. I didn't think to look at the ABV until I'm sitting here. The can was already open and I'm just like, well, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta do it. I can tell like it's juice, is you know, things like that in this. Yeah, it's not like artificial flavoring, whatever. I actually started buying them because typically they're on the lower alcohol level and I'm like, I can't drink during the day and be functional. <laughs> Don't get this one, Nick. Oh, I know, right? I mean, I'm gonna have to try it for like nighttime pool happenings. <laughs> I'm just gonna sip on this real slow. <laughs> Let us know how our listeners can follow along and connect with you and Dope Cider House and Winery and keep up to date with what you're doing and when you're going to open. I pretty much do a lot of my, you know, social media via Instagram. So I'm Dope the Brand on Instagram. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, you can follow me on Instagram to, you know, just check everything out that's going on. Um, definitely, hopefully in the next week or so, I'll be able to show you guys me with a sledgehammer knocking down some walls, you know, you know, getting ready with that. And um, also I have a website that's the same, um, dopethebrand.com and definitely has some content on there, t-shirts and follow the social media and just look forward to end of September, October, but definitely 2021 will be making history again. <laughs> I cannot wait to see what you do with your cidery and winery. And I am so happy you were able to come on. Thank you so much for joining me. Drinking beer, it makes you happy. It makes me happy too. It's true.
Thanks for listening to Brewing After Hours on the Believe Podcast Network. Find the show and lots of other great shows at Believe.com. If you're digging the show, please subscribe and rate the show on your preferred streaming platform. A special thank you to Honus Honus, the lyrical genius behind my favorite band, Man Man, who created the song you hear at the beginning of my podcast. Check the band's new album and more at manmanbands.com and at manmanbandsband on Instagram. If you're looking for some homebrewing tips, make sure to follow me on Instagram at flora underscore brewing or subscribe to Flora Brewing on YouTube. For ad-free brewing tutorials and reviews, plus more one-on-one experience, become a Patreon member. It's just Patreon backslash Flora Brewing. Now, I really need a drink. I'll catch up with you all next week. Thanks again for listening and a friendly reminder to support your local craft brewery. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.